Whether it's a four-course sit-down dinner or a line starts in the kitchen buffet, there's one thing you'll find at the center of it all. Swift Meats. Fresh, tender roast beef, succulent pork chops, mouth-watering steaks. For more than 160 years, Swift Pork and Beef delivers the flavor that brings everyone to the table. Discover new meal ideas at SwiftMeats.com. basically a cube with inside of sphere where the points of the cube uh, were touching outside of the sphere. So this isn't anything that just is limited to the United States. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That UFO podcast is powered by Zencaster. Zencaster is one of the world's leading platforms for recording and hosting podcasts. Zencaster is a modern web-based solution for high-quality audio and video podcast production. With a full suite of professional tools, Zencaster allows podcasters to quickly and seamlessly record their guests remotely and produce their podcasts in studio quality. Check out the links in the show description to find out more. This is David Marler, UFO researcher, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to That UFO Podcast, making his second appearance on the pod. I have award-winning journalist, author of The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science, and The Passion of John Mack. I'd like to welcome back Ralph Blumenthal. Ralph, how are we? Oh, great. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure any time, Ralph, and I do mean that with yourself. Listen, Ralph, you were on the pod a few months ago talking about your fantastic book on John Mack, who so ferociously studied the alien abduction experience. Now, just a few days ago, as we record this, you authored an article for The Debrief titled The Experience, The Cultural Rise of Alien Abductions and Those Who Experience Them. What about this particular aspect of the phenomenon do you find so compelling that you're still pursuing it? Well, first of all, um, I, in this article, I try to relate uh, the revelations uh, about uh, UFOs that are very recent uh, to the, the broader question of um, alien experiences. So um, in the New York Times, uh, in the articles we did, we dealt with the UFO sightings and the um, um, work that the Pentagon, particularly the Navy, less so the Air Force, but also the Air Force have done in tracking these mysterious objects, UFOs, UAP, unidentified aerial, aerial phenomena, um, whatever they are. And um, so I start off by saying um, the news with, with UFOs is that the government is now saying that these things exist, okay? There's physical confirmation in measurements and in video radar, et cetera, that something physical exists. And that's quite a breakthrough from the previous uh, stances that the government has taken, um, claiming that this is marsh gas or the planet Venus or hallucinations or fly specks on the windshield. (laughs) Um, So now the government has come around. Not only do they physically exist, but they represent a threat to other aircraft. 
So uh, in terms of, you know, near misses. So, so that's really interesting. These things exist. Now, I, then I make the distinction in the article that the government is not saying uh, where these things come from, what they think they are, who's behind or what is behind the wheel, if there is a wheel. Um, because, first of all, the government doesn't know. It's pure speculation. And, and, we, and in the Times, too, we like to stick to what we can what we can back up. So this article was an attempt to kind of relate these two sides of the, of the issue, um, uh, bridge them in a way, of course, that it's not necessarily bridgeable, but um, John Mack, um, the Harvard psychiatrist I wrote about in The Believer, found a correlation between um, experiencer accounts of you know, meeting with or being abducted by alien beings and UFOs. He said very often a UFO was sighted in proximity to where these encounters happened at night or in driving a car or wherever. Uh, so there is some kind of a correlation, but not all the experiencer accounts mention UFOs. Uh, sometimes they're, they're very strange, these accounts. They are, you cannot make them up, <laughs> uh, it seems to me. The details are so incredible that uh, humans do not have the imagination, it seems to me, to make up these, these stories, the detail of these stories. So um, what the relationship is between UFOs and, and alien experiences um, is very difficult to to establish, um, as I said, there's some kind of a correlation, but not all experiences involve UFOs, and um, and the uh, and the and the scientific backing that the government has has gotten in order to be able to say that these things exist say nothing about uh, aliens. Now, the article itself was originally scheduled to be printed by the New York Times, but at the last minute it was decided against. Why was this, and did you expect that, given the nature of what was being discussed? Well, it was a little complicated. Um, the Times, in, in very good faith, uh, um, asked me to look, look into this for an article, uh, which I did. Uh, but, you know, along the way, as often happens, uh, people move. <laughs> and uh, my uh, editor of the piece left and uh, two photo editors left. And by the time everybody moved, uh, the piece was essentially, you know, handed off to people who didn't have the same commitment to it. So that happens in journalism. I understand that. Um, and, um, uh, you know, they were very good about it. They, uh, I certainly was free to, to place it elsewhere, which I did uh, very happily at the debrief. And, um, you know, not every article works out. Uh, I've written in my long career at the Times, 45 years, uh, many articles ran, some didn't for different reasons. Different editors have different takes on things. Um, it's a difficult, you know, area. Um, I understand that. So I, there's no hard feelings. Ralph, I'm going to ask, is there an argument that the public is not anywhere near ready for this aspect of the phenomenon to be brought into the conversation in the mainstream? Well, I don't agree with that. Um, I think the, 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 the public is ahead of the government in many ways. Uh, I think the government was historically afraid um, of dealing with this subject, which is why, you know, going back to Roswell and uh, Kenneth Arnold's <coughs> citing of UFOs over Mount Rainier, 
1947 was a banner, a banner year for UFOs. Um, and then, of course, all the sightings over Washington, D.C. And, you know, the, the whole flurry of, uh, of UFO activity, uh, the government uh, seemed to take the position that people, this is too upsetting. Uh, to people to to acknowledge, so they came up with all kinds of stories that this was you know these were hallucinations that the, these were um, uh, you know the, the planet Venus as I said or, which is ridiculous because you had um, veterans of World War II who who had close uh, encounters with some of these objects pilots particularly and they know what the planet Venus looks like and they know what a UFO looks like so uh, the public was ahead of the government in many ways. And the government not only didn't acknowledge it, but in some cases it went to great lengths to come up with disinformation, um, uh, you know, uh, false stories and to try to undermine some of the people who were reporting these things and, and, and try to paint them as communist subversive. I mean, there's a long unhappy history of this. Um, so I would say the public has been ahead of the government because people have seen these things. They know they exist. Now the government is admitting that they exist. Now, um, you know, jumping ahead to alien encounters, I think there's still a lot of skepticism for the very nature of the phenomenon. It, it does not happen. Um, uh, these experiences are not happening in our everyday reality that we can tell. Um, that's, that's the difference that the UFOs have been sighted by pilots and captured on radar and imaging devices, um, um, encounters with uh, alien beings have not been, um, captured on instruments. Um, and, and people who have had these experiences are adamant that they, that they happened. Okay. That they, that they were real. There was not a dream. And people who have not had these experiences cannot imagine that th this could be possible. So that's the problem. And um, that's why, I mean, a lot of scientific work still has to be done to figure out, um, you know, the nature of this phenomenon. John Mack ended up thinking that, th that these encounters were happening in some twilight zone, a liminal area between our, our reality and something else. It's, it's coming to us, penetrating from another reality or another dimension or something. Um, and considering how little we know about, I mean, we know s certain laws of physics, um, but how little we know about the makeup of the universe, We 95% of it is a mystery, hard, I mean, uh, dark matter and dark energy. So we, we, we don't know everything. So, um, you know, where these experiences are coming from and why they don't happen in front of us so that we could see them and, and say, yeah, that's absolute reality. They're not. Um, that absolutely remains to be studied. It's interesting, Ralph, because you said in, in the turn of phrase that these, these people are, are adamant this wasn't a dream. But it actually might be the case that some of these are dreams, but in the same respect, they are still happening because maybe those dreams are in that twilight area of you know the conscious and subconscious and it, it may be that physically you could see someone and i've discussed this on the podcast before someone could have an abduction experience but you would physically stand beside them in their bed for example and never see them leave the bed but the unconscious mind could be somewhere else and that's that's quite an interesting interesting way to look at it yes i mean uh, that's a very good point uh, that there is no agreement 
on um, the physical aspect of, of abduction. I mean, of course, there's no agreement. The whole thing is a big mystery. But um, in my book, I cite um, uh, two stories. Uh, one, as I said, was the, the one about the two girls with the sleepover and they disappeared during the night. Um, uh, the mother found them missing and then they reappeared in their beds and they remembered having some kind of an abduction experience. So that would suggest a physical absence. But there was another case that was discussed at the um, MIT conference in 1992, or the conference at MIT. MIT didn't really uh, sponsor the conference. It just provided a venue. But anyway, there was a case um, discussed of a woman who fainted in her husband's arms and, uh, and, and thought uh, or felt that she was uh, flying. Uh, levitating uh, up into the sky and had all these uh, out-of-body experiences uh, while he was holding her. And he, he said later, she was definitely there in my arms, but she remembered or felt that she was somewhere else. So those are two cases completely opposite of uh, the, the two girls who were physically absent and the woman who was in her husband's arms. Um, so... Um, Make of that what you will. There is no easy answer to this question. And and the article I wrote for Vanity Fair in 2013, which was really a work in progress on my book, which came out in uh, you know 2021, um, um, you know, t- just started off with the question: Are you physically absent when you're abducted? According to you know experiencers. And um, they, they grapple with this. Some say you are absent. Some say you're not absent. It's an out-of-body experience. And out-of-body experiences, by the way, are recognized. It, it's a psychiatric uh, syndrome with, you know, a, a lot has been written about it. Uh, people imagine that they're out of their bodies. Um, and it happens often in near-death experiences where people uh, feel they leave their bodies and then come back to their bodies. So um, it's, it's a very complicated story. And, um, uh, you know, again, no easy answer, but there's a lot written about it. And something your colleague Leslie Keane has a, an interest in with her, her documentaries as well on surviving death. Now, I would ask, Ralph, um, recently many experiencers online, uh, including social media, have been voicing their frustrations that they're not being heard, they're not being considered in this conversation. And I, I've spoken to some of them myself on DMs or just on various threads, and I would always listen to someone's story. Is that a frustration that you share? And, and what would you say to them? I definitely uh, understand uh, their frustration. In in the um, debrief article I just uh, ran, <clears throat> I include four uh, verbatim accounts of experiencers, and I, I, I applaud their courage, actually, in, in trusting me with their stories. They're identified. Um, they're not operating under pseudonyms. I mean, I feel that's very important in this kind of reporting. It's too easy to give people pseudonyms or disguise their identity. And my training at the New York Times always is, you know, no pseudonyms, uh, names whenever possible, uh, because that gives credibility to a story. So these four people, uh, three women women and a man, um, agreed to share their stories with me. Uh, as as wild and bizarre as they as they sound, um, and they are identified. Uh, they stand behind these stories. They don't understand it themselves. You know what happened to them and why. 
Um, it doesn't seem possible. I mean, uh, you know, as John Mack said many times, they, they, they sound totally impossible uh, to people who have not encountered this. So these people are very frustrated. They do feel they are, they are marginalized by society. They're held up to ridicule. They cannot um, um, discuss this even with family members for fear of being ostracized, labeled, you know, insane, uh, because it doesn't comport with our reality. And yet these are, as John Mack established, eminently sane people uh, who, apart from this, um, uh, are, are completely ordinary. I mean, and that is to say they are not um, bereft of traumatic experience. Some of them are rape victims. Some of them had, you know, uh, unpleasant uh, family experiences, traumas, all kinds of problems. Um, these are ordinary people. So it's not to say these people, nothing has ever happened to these people. They're, you know, they're, <laughs> on the contrary, they are normal with all the normal um, frustrations, uh, but they're not crazy. So uh, that's, that's one of the things that struck John Mack. They come from all walks of life. They're completely representative of the human population, including young children, as I said. Uh, and yet we don't understand why they were picked out um, for these experiences. And by the way, it's well known in the literature that, uh, that these experiences seem to run in families, that um, if you know, your grandparents have had the experiences, then their children and, and the grandchildren have had them. And parents have said many times that they, they see these experiences now uh, uh, coming to their children. So for some reason, uh, it, it follows some kind of family line, not always, uh, and it also seems to center on on people in the reproductive years. So, again, that's a simple matter of of tabulating the polling, you know, the, the, this this population as difficult as it is to get people to to cooperate and talk. But um, you know, there are certain uh, common elements to this, even though the population, as I said, is, it cuts across all all boundaries. Now you've talked about the the normal everyday person and, and and what you've said there, and of course you've got those case studies within the article as well. I I would encourage people to go and read that article if they haven't already. The link will be in the description for the show. As well as that, though, many famous names are cited in your article. Names such as Kendrick Lamar, Demi Lovato, and Lupe Fiasco. There are more recent names that a much younger crowd will no doubt be aware of. How important for you is it that celebrities of this magnitude are discussing these sorts of experiences? Yeah, I, I thought it was quite striking. And as, as you said, exactly right. I wanted to relate this subject to a, a young audience, and they certainly know Kendrick Lamar and Demi Lovato and um, uh, Lupe Fiasco. These are people who are cultural icons not to speak of John Lennon and Elvis <laughs> from a previous generation. Um, but um, so these people have had, you know, again, uh, this is a cross-section of, of humanity that is reporting these experiences. Uh, there are celebrities, there are ordinary people, there are police officers, um, there are, uh, you know, people from, from scientific background, Um so um, it's very difficult to, to shrug this off as, um, you know, happening to only one, one kind of person, you know, somebody who's mentally unstable, let's say. It's not true. Um, 
And um, it is interesting that these celebrities that I quote in the article, they didn't talk to me. I tried to get interviews with them, but uh, okay, you know, it's difficult to pin down a celebrity. But uh, they did say this in, in public forums um, on the air. And Demi Lovato actually has a show starting uh, this week, <laughs> uh, Unidentified. Uh, I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the trailers. I don't know, you know, where the show goes, what she says. But anyway, um, it is interesting that celebrities have had these experiences too. Is there a danger given some of these personalities and and bigger names they have had controversies or, you know, odd behaviours that it can enforce the stigma attached to the subject in the way that the wider media may now report on it. Famously, from a UK point of view, the singer Robbie Williams has been attached to to Jeremy Corbell and, and Skinwalker Ranch along with George Knapp. And Robbie Williams, I, I'm a fan of his stuff from the early 2000s. I grew up with, with Robbie Williams, really good, great musician. But it's no secret as he's gotten older, he gets reported on as being a little bit crazier, for want of a better word, by the media. Do you think that can enforce that stigma or do you still think the pros outweigh the cons? Well, you know, the more I like to think that the more we write about this and the more we uh, stress the point that, first of all, there's no there should be no stigma attached. This is an experience. You know, these people didn't want these experiences to happen. They're not profiting from these experiences. On the contrary, they're they're shy. They're running away. They're embarrassed. They're ashamed, even though they have no reason to be ashamed. But um, but the more we we discuss this, um, I think it helps to uh, erase the stigma. But um, and that's why it was interesting that you know Lupe Fiasco and Kendrick Lamar and others have have, have mentioned it in a public way. Um, uh, and I think it's it's brave of them to to combat this, and they can do it because they're celebrities. In other words, they um, they have a guaranteed following, you know, no matter what they say. And uh, they're insulated, let's say, from, uh, you know, some of the, um, uh, uh, you know, setbacks that ordinary people might have in, in their jobs or their relationships with their, with their peers. So a celebrity is in a particularly good position to uh, sort of combat this stigma. But um, so I think the more we, we discuss it and, and hammer home the point that these people did nothing wrong, they're not seeking these experiences, they're not profiting by these experiences, they're not, you know, uh, as I say, on the contrary, they're, they're, they're trying to shrug them off or, or, or downplay them or run away from them. Uh, but the more we understand that th there is a mystery here, uh, that's the number one takeaway from this whole thing that I got in writing my book. There is a legitimate mystery here. It is not something that the, the so-called skeptics and debunkers can, um, you know, point to and say, oh, this is easy. You know, this is, it's this, it's this, it's that. It's not. We don't know what it is. Um, so little by little, you know, I think we can hammer away at that stigma. Ralph, humans can be seen as an unreliable sensor. So some people can argue that <laughs> gathering reliable abduction data can be tough. How can we build on John Mack's work and gather data in a way that's satisfying to science? Well, good question. Um, some people are doing that. I mean, Gary Nolan at Stanford University, Jacques Vallée. Um, uh, these are people who are lending their scientific um, stature and it's 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 a high one, and and Avi Loeb um, um, at Harvard um, lending their stature 
to um, scientific inquiry. Um, in other words, the scientific establishment has to be assured um, uh, that they can look into these questions without being stigmatized. Uh, and, of, and I mean, and there's a way of doing it uh, scientifically. I mean, look, the internet is full of wild speculation, sensational stories. And um, uh, I think um, not everything out there has to be believed or, you know, should be taken at face value, certainly. Um, but there is a way uh, for responsible science and, uh, and leaders in, in various disciplines, including religion scholars who have been fascinated by this discussion because they see parallels to the early accounts of so-called miracles, let's say, uh, in the church, um, um, that it can be, there's nothing that is unscientific about the subject. In other words, it, it is amenable to study and we just have to find ways to um, uh, mobilize. You know, at the end of my book, The Believer, I talk about the billions of dollars that have been spent hunting for elusive particles like the Higgs boson, which was found just a few years ago after billions and billions of, of collisions uh, with an underground uh, accelerator. And they finally found one particle out of billions and trillions of collisions. And it lasted a, you know, a tiny fraction of a second. Um, there's a picture now of a, a black hole 55 million light years away. Um, an image that um, uh, scientists have, uh, astronomers have gotten and then caused a huge stir a few years, very few years ago. Um, and uh, the mil billions and billions of dollars have been spent, uh, you know, finding these uh, colossal um, uh, mystery or, you know, illuminating these mysteries, let's say, a picture, actual picture of a black hole, the first one we've ever had. Um, and this Higgs boson. So if a fraction of that money were to be applied to um, uh, studying the alien abduction phenomenon and understanding what changes uh, are taking place in the bodies of people reporting these things, if, if indeed there are these changes, what's going on in brain function? Um, um, are there ways of capturing uh, images of these experiences in some, in some way? Um, these are all legitimate scientific questions because these people, these people are not making it up. Something is happening to them that we don't understand. Um, and it's worth scientific study. Ralph, just before we get to some listener questions, uh, I want to mention our friend James Iandoli over at Engaging the Phenomenon podcast. Now, some in the community are are pushing for a crash retrieval awareness week uh, from the seventeenth to the twenty first uh, for the twenty fourth, sorry, of October. So it'd be remiss of me to not ask you a couple of questions before we get to the listener cues on that. Now, uh, the Wilson documents, as you'll be well, very well aware of, <laughs> uh, were edited out of one of your articles for the New York Times. Where do you given a reason for this and what would have to happen to see it featured in the future okay well they, they, nothing would they, they it wasn't edited out of the article it was never in the article um there's a lot of stuff that was not in our articles because we never could um build a, a good enough foundation uh and i must say that one of the frustrations that leslie and i had uh, was trying to write some of our articles with the um, voices of the internet nipping at our heels 
and uh, second guessing us and saying, oh, they interviewed so-and-so, they must be working on this. Um, we interview a lot of people and not everything we we pursue or not everybody we interview gets into the New York Times because we can't establish it, we can't get them on the record, all kinds of things. So it, it really has not been helpful to try to write some of these articles with um, you know, uh, people nipping at our heels and, and reve- quote, revealing things about our methodology and the people we talk to. That really is part of our work product. That, that um, The reason we didn't put it in the New York Times is it, was, it didn't rise to the level of, of New York Times reportage, okay? Um, so there were a lot of things that didn't, you know, uh, make it into the article. Now, the crash retrieval is a very difficult subject. Um, it's largely classified. What the government has, if it has materials from crashed vehicles, um, is buried deep inside uh, different, um, you know, uh, uh, elements in, in, in the Pentagon or private contractors. Uh, we, we have not been able to get at that data, which I think we, we've, we've said uh, in, in so many words. Um, what we could get, and we put in our last article, was that me- uh, congressional committees were briefed about uh, purpo- uh, purported retrievals of some of some crashed materials, okay? Um, we found it significant and worth reporting that members of Cong- or co- congressional committees, let's say, certainly staff members, uh, were briefed by Eric Davis and, and others um, about some of this information. Now, we, we don't know exactly what information and we don't know what, you know, we can't verify what materials. I mean, there's a lot of unanswered questions, but uh, we found it significant that that um, congressional committees uh, were interested in the topic and were given some information, okay? And as we said, a lot of the information remains classified and we haven't been able to get it. And if, even if we got it, we probably wouldn't report it because we don't want to go to jail. So, um it's it's a it's a very interesting topic, a shrouded in mystery, and what we could report, we did. So, um, uh, but you know, nothing was edited out of our story. We uh, we agreed with our editors on what was uh, worth reporting, and uh, we were happy with the way the stories ca- came out. Ralph, you're a man of integrity. You're dealing facts. You report on the facts, but. The, the human aspect of this for you, do you have a gut feeling as to whether the U.S. government does indeed have intact craft or pieces of a craft? Well, there's a lot of smoke. <laughs> Let's put it that way. You know, um, there have been a lot of accounts um, over the years and they're not verified as far as I know. Uh, but um, uh, anecdotal accounts, as John Mack <laughs> dealt with, with the experiencers, um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I know that there are uh, super secret corners of, uh, of the military establishment that, that we can't get access to. Um, I mean, that's just the way it is. So um, what, what is, uh, you know, in those, um, you know, committees, uh, uh, special access, you know, committees, and um, it's, it's a matter of speculation. Um, uh, but there's certainly been a lot of reporting over the years, um, that, 
alleging, at least, that, that materials have been recovered. As I said, we, I, I can't go beyond that. I, I don't know. I, I can't confirm that from my reporting. Um, so uh, that remains to be seen. Now, when you see a fellow journalist like Ross Coulthard getting so involved in the subject, does that give you hope that more are going to follow in the footsteps of yourself, Leslie Kane and Helene Cooper to to, to get involved in this subject, to write articles, to make documentaries and, and produce material? Yes, when we see a serious journalist like Tim McMillan, uh, clearly, um, the, you know, using their uh, vast knowledge of the defense establishment uh, to, to look into this area, uh, it does give us hope that, um, look, it, it is a, a communal exercise to, to get this information out. And uh, as much as we compete, you know, with other journalists to be first, uh, I'm happy to see breakthroughs elsewhere that, that move us onto, you know, a new track or give us additional information. We don't own everything. And we don't know everything. We at the Times, let's say, or Leslie and I, uh, people are working on a lot of interesting things. And if they have a breakthrough, uh, George Knapp certainly has wonderful sources. Um, it does give me faith that, um, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll be able to add to the, the sum of human knowledge. So uh, I applaud them. As I said, what what does set me back a little bit is the 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 poor inf- misinformation, let's say, that's on the internet, um, that is not that doesn't uh, hew to the standards that, that we have in the mainstream media, or the serious media, on this, and th- that go by rumor and are not checked out, and um, you know a lot of stuff is out there, and people take that as 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 reliable information, and it 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 may not be. I mean, you know. Uh, not everybody has the same standards that we have at the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. Um, and um, so that, that's the problem. It's a mixed bag, and you don't know often where this information is coming from. Now, let's go on to some listener questions, Ralph. Uh, we had plenty sent in, but obviously in a limited time, I just want to get some of these to you. Um, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but I'd like to know a little bit more. Uh, so Dave wants to know, at what point in the conversation, Ralph, for you, do you feel yourself pulling back when it comes to abduction and experiences? I.e., is it too far to discuss portals, dimensionals, or alien hybrid children, for example? At what point do you sort of pull away? Well, I've discussed all that. It's in my book. Uh, it's in the debrief article. I talk. Um, one of the experiences talks about uh, portals and seeing uh, a, a mantis-type creature crawling through the portal, talking to him, or having a telepathic conversation with him. Um, so I record this. Um, in other words, it's part of the reporting. This is what people say happened. I'm not shy about... Uh, uh, you know, recording this information. Um, I'm not saying that I believe it, um, you know, even to the extent that belief is a peculiar thing. I mean, we can get started, uh, you know, what do you, what do you believe? People say, do you believe in UFOs? They say, well, do you believe in the ocean? Do you believe in the stars? UFOs exist. <laughs> um, uh, so belief is a, is a fraught question. But um, I have dealt with all these issues as, as bizarre as they are. Um, uh, I've at least reported that this is what people say happened to them. Um, I can't go beyond that. I can't verify it. 
because it's not verifiable. And they know that, these people. They know it. So, um, I, I, you know, when you say, do I pull back, um, you know, I, it's not a question of pulling back. It's a question of reporting what people say and, and, and infusing it with the proper um, caveats, which is to say, as the debrief article said, we can't prove this scientifically. Um, this is what people say. The, the next question is from Tim, and I'll ask you, Ralph, bear with me because there's a little bit of information and build-up from Tim before he gets to the question. Um, <laughs> there was an email from Leslie Keane to John Podesta that was leaked in the 2016 DNC WikiLeaks dump addressing information provided to John via Bob Fish on hard data about fast walkers within the government and its contractors. Leslie's words were, it's another confirmation of yet more documents kept from the public. This knowledge belongs to the people under the law. Can we get the ball rolling during this transition window? Perhaps a quiet meeting with the right people before your next assignment? I already have the perfect briefing package and a highly qualified staffer ready to go. The timing seems ideal. Now, that was Leslie's comment. The question from Tim is, has Ralph seen this briefing package? If so, what was in it? And was there ever a consideration to do a New York Times story on Bob Fish and his claims to John Podesta? <laughs> that's, a, that's a complicated question. Well, I have not seen that package. I know Leslie as a person of utmost integrity. I'm sorry that uh, these emails were leaked because they were done. Um, I think it was part of a, an effort to embarrass uh, people. Um, by the, the, the subject, the, uh, uh, the nature of the subject, anything with UFOs, um, um, you know, and a public figure has a, uh, a likelihood of embarrassing them. And people say things in emails that they wouldn't necessarily want to see public. It's a sensitive topic. So I don't know the whole backstory of that exchange that Leslie had with John Podesta, but um, I think it was very sad that people use this as a way of, uh, of trying to ridicule him or undermining him. And there was a lot of private emails that were put out as part of, you know, machinations uh, from different parties. I'm not going to go into all that, but we know what happened uh, in the run up to the 2016 election. Uh, some very sordid stories uh, emerged. So, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm not just I'm not familiar enough with the, with the background of that exchange to to really comment on it. No, that that's fair. Uh, Michael has a, a good, interesting question. Don't know how much you can go into this one. To be fair, though, he wants to know: Have any of your top sources ever indicated that UAP occupants have been caught on film? No, <laughs> nobody has ever indicated that to me. Um, and if they did, I would like to say, I would say, let's see the film. Um, you know, I, I hear a lot of stories from people and I get sent a lot of material um, and I welcome it. Um, um, you know, I, I, but I always tell people I don't have the technical expertise to, to vet a lot of the um, uh, videos that come to me. I, you know, I'm not a, a, an expert in terms of, uh, uh, you know, uh, unpacking the the information and figuring out what's you know real what's not real a lot of the the videos are not very precise they're 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 um you know um uh, blurry which has been the problem all along so uh 
But um, I can't say I've ever had an account that, oh, somebody has a picture of an alien uh, or video of an alien that, that they're willing to to share. I'd look in anything, but <laughs> it's very hard to verify. And, you know, that famous tape of the, the alien autopsy has been subject to a lot of controversy. So, yeah. No, that's that's fair. Uh, next up, Carl wants to know, uh, he is curious, Ralph, if John Mack's notes ever mentioned the CIA or the Stanford Research Institute and remote viewing. Good question. Um, the answer, the simple answer is no. Uh, John Mack was asked a number of times whether the government ever tried to interfere with him. And this is interesting because of the government's history of disinformation in this field. They have messed with some people, as we know. Uh, according to John Mack himself, they did not mess with him. And he would have been, you would think, a, a perfect person to mess with if the government was out to uh, discredit somebody. Um, and now, uh, I have not caught him in any lies, and I, I would take him at his word. Um, I would not conclude that the government did try to, you know, um, um, mess with him, but he, but he's hiding it. I, I, that would not be uh, uh, congruent. That would not be consistent with everything else I found in his papers. When he encountered a problem, he owned up to it, um, and he wasn't shy about uh, you know talking about uh, what you know people did and said to him. So, uh, but he did make a point of saying the government never reached out to him. He was never the subject of any government effort to uh, shut him up or to mislead him or to feed him false information. So that's interesting. Um, so the answer, uh, I'm happy to say in this case, I can be pretty definitive, is, is no. That's fair enough. And last question is from Nathan. Um, I don't know if you've read Brian Bender's uh, piece in Politico recently. He quotes Ruben, uh, is it Gallego? Galejo? Uh, I'm not too familiar on the pronunciation of the surname. Uh, as saying that a hearing without a real understanding of what's happening without real data is not going to do anybody any good. Is it fair to say that lawmakers really don't have decent information to push for these congressional hearings. And in addition to that, are there enough people who have already briefed certain members that when given the chance to speak on record without fear of their NDA, more info would be made readily available? Well, I know Brian Bender, and he's a, he's a meticulous and reliable journalist on Politico. I didn't read that last article. Um, there have been congressional hearings, uh, by the way, in the past, um, um, as recently as the 2000s, uh, dealing with uh, Roswell, uh, dealing with um, uh, Gerald Ford, called uh, hearings when he was uh, um, House Majority Leader. Um, and um, I'm, I don't know uh, how much it would reveal at this point. There, there is secret information in the hands of the government. There's no doubt about it. Uh, uh, um, how, how it might change the the paradigm, uh, you know, what it might say. Um, I, I hope that the, I mean, we know that there was a secret annex, uh, a, a classified annex to the UAP report of June 25th um, that was given to congressional committees. Uh, I don't know whether that will ever see the light of day. Um, um, uh, as far as I know, uh, no uh, members of Congress have talked about that. They're not supposed to talk about it. It's That's why it's it's classified. Um, so I don't know what's in that. Um, 
But um, I don't know whether hearings at this point would, uh, you know, h- hearings are usually held to investigate like the, the January 6th riot, um, you know, uh, uh, malfeasance or, uh, or the, the 9-11 tragedy, obviously 9-11 commission. Um, so that you have a congressional hearing when you want to bring something to light. I don't know whether this evolving um, investigation of the Pentagon is, is the kind of thing that would lend itself to congressional hearings at this point. Uh, maybe after the next step, when we know a little more, um, I, I think there are people in the government who do want to get more information out. Um, the media is certainly sensitive to it. There was a lot of build up to the January 25th, um, the June 25th report, um, you know, a great appetite for that. I think it, it kind of fell with a thud. <laughs> uh, it didn't answer all the questions that people had, but the questions are still there. So uh, maybe at some point it would be useful, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I would say I would clamor now to we've got to have congressional hearings. Ralph, it's always a pleasure speaking to you. I would ask you what's next for you, what you're working on just now, and then just let listeners know how they can follow you and your work, of course. Well, I'm very involved with publicizing my book. I'm doing a lot of shows like this, uh, talking about it. I think um, there's still a lot of questions out there. Obviously, the experience of the thing uh, is an un... Um, um, well, it's, it's still worthy of a lot of examination. These people are out there. They've got stories to tell. Uh, there's a lot of scientific investigation that should be done. Um, and uh, also, we still don't know anything about the – we know that the you know UFOs exist according to the Pentagon, but we don't know anything else about them. How do they operate underwater? <laughs> Good question. Um, you know, and uh, have they been spotted coming into the atmosphere at all? What do, you know, what do the satellites show? I mean, there, you know, there's a lot of uh, interesting questions. Uh, so I haven't given up this field, but I'm, I'm doing other things too. I was recently on a panel talking about uh, uh, President Roosevelt's packing of the Supreme Court. So I have uh, historical interests uh, apart from uh, UFOs. I, I work in the Baruch archives where we have a lot of uh, interesting historical materials on reform government and the Roosevelt administration and, um, you know, a guy named Luther Gulick who was very involved in reshaping government and public administration. So I have a lot of interests. So uh, we'll see. Uh, every book I've done sort of dropped into my lap in a strange way. So maybe something that I'm not even thinking about will come along. Well, Ralph, on behalf of myself and the community, thank you very much for the work you've done and continue to do. And I would encourage people to go out and pick up your copy of The Believer, Alien Encounters, Hard Science and the Passion of John Mack by Ralph Blumenthal. Ralph, always a pleasure to speak to you. Likewise. Thank you. Great to be here. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see.
and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Fuck. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you awake, I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself, and I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head, and everything was weird, and everything was red. And I called up my boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and I think I should because it doesn't really scare me. coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just gotta turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. P please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. You could save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, but when we just come out and say it, it feels like it falls a bit flat. So instead, we're going to hire a professional voice actor and pay him absurd amounts of money to say, I like this product.
Hmm, not sure why that was better. I mean, I'm a professional too. But we didn't pay him to say the business part, so back to me. Save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. Sorry, I know hearing me say it was a bit of a letdown. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations.